Welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. Today we haven't really got much of a game, but we'll still find something to, to bore you with for the next half hour or so. Um, as always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, um, if you type in at Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture. Uh, on Twitter, again, it's the same, at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email... It's folkonfalcons at mail.com. Thank you. So, this is the point where we'd normally either be singing and dancing around because we've won a game or be moaning and groaning because we've lost it. It was about time it happened. It's probably our turn. Coronavirus called off. Not much we can do about it, really, is there? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it was probably our turn. Uh, one of those things. Can't really do anything about it. Um, I guess it was a shame it happened to be that game rather than, say, Bristol or you know, Exeter or something like that. But, um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, and it's it's two points, and I guess just move on to the next game. Next game in a week's time against Worcester. Obviously, the game's been called off because there's been a number of cases, they said. So I presume it must be people in the squad have been spreading it to each other. Do you think there's a risk that next week could be called off as well? Or do you think that they'll be testing everybody this week and isolating the players and scraping together a team that might have quite a few reservists in it i suspect probably if there are one or two or whatever number it is it's probably going to be a handful um if that and as you say they'll probably just isolate and test test everyone and just sort of keep those ones that are infected away from everyone else for the week because there must be some sort of process in place because i don't think there's been an instance this season where the team that has have had to forfeit has had to forfeit the next week um even when they've had it because i think leicester apparently i think didn't they have it had it particularly bad or whatever it was earlier on in the season and even they managed to play um fine the next week so i imagine that it'll be okay and there'll be processes in place for that yeah let's hope the game goes ahead um it's been announced that we've ended up with two points in northampton four as we'd have expected and that that's actually pushed us up the table we've we've climbed a place to seventh which i i guess could be considered a good thing um, Northampton have also climbed up to fifth so I guess it, it's just it is what it is and our points difference still looks very strange because we've now had uh, another match cancelled yeah I mean uh, obviously it's only as good as four points which they may well have got but you know it's the, the whole league table is such a mess this season you know I mean every team's going to get infected well infected and affected one way or another at one time or another so yeah as we say it's just it is what it is and it's better than one or zero points isn't it so there it is we look forward to next week against Worcester Worcester have got the worst attack in the league closely followed by us with the second worst attack and they've also got a pretty bad defense although our defense is quite good so I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game I'd be shocked if Worcester pile on the points. So hopefully it's a chance to get back to winning ways. And if we're lucky, we might come back with four, four, hopefully five points. Yeah, I think it's out of all the games so far this season, I think it's the one you think where you've got to look for four points. Um, I think if we want to still be in that mix for the top six, we have to be beating Worcester away. Not only because, you know, we've got to be beating teams below us, but in terms of the points as well, I think if, if we don't pick up the four points there, we start to not necessarily become a drift of the teams above us, but it's, you know, we have to chase them. And, you know, that's always obviously in a worse position to be than, you know, than it being in our hands if we're sitting there and say fifth or sixth or even higher. Um, so I think that's something we want to avoid if possible. Um, the thing with Worcester is that when I have seen this season they do create opportunities but they always seem to fluff their lines which as you say they've 
in terms of their points difference. They don't seem to score many, but they do create opportunities. Um, and as you say, also, their defence is a particular weakness. And I think we should see, be the better of them simply because our defence is actually pretty good. And I do think that they won't be able to keep us out. Um, so, I, as you say, I think it's actually going to be quite close. And it could be quite tense, actually, because I do think there's a lot on it in terms of for us because we want to get that top six place. Worcester, you know, they know they're not going to go down. So I guess the pressure's off them. So that could be dangerous, actually. But yeah, I think it's it's one we've got to target a win, I think. So yeah, next week it's um, Six Nations free weekend. So our diaries are clear. So there's no risk of any awkward clashes and having to run between TV screens at a short notice. Aside from the lack of rugby, the main news, I guess, in the last week has been the confirmation, as we thought, of relegation being abolished for this season. It was announced earlier in the week. There'd still be promotion, providing a team meets the minimum criteria but there'll be no relegation in effect that means if saracens win they get promoted otherwise there'll be 12 teams in the premiership next year not 13 yeah i mean as i say it's the news we all expected Uh, it's got to be the right decision um because as we mentioned the league's absolutely the table is just a mess at the moment and even though teams would have sort of signed up to the the rules about you know the points allocation when there has been positive COVID tests. I think it would be subject to legal challenges in terms of a team got relegated purely on the basis of those points allocation. Um, so it's the absolute sensible thing. I know BT have made a fuss about it, but I can't see how BT wouldn't wouldn't have been aware or the possibility of this wouldn't have been discussed a few weeks ago when the TV deal was agreed that this could potentially happen. <clears throat> I don't think it actually affects in terms of the what you could call I don't know the competition or excitement of the league because as everyone knows there's a lot of competition in this season for those top six places even top four so there's a, a lot to play for this season so i don't think getting rid of relegation really sort of detracts from any of the excitement or anything to play for this season as well um i, I think that i have to disagree with you on that one because as the season goes on i tend to find that it's the mid-table seventh versus eighth matches which become a bit boring at the end of it whereas Normally you get some cracking games at the bottom and the top of the table towards the end, whereas this year with there being nothing to play for, I can see at least three or four of each weekend's games just being a non-event. There's nothing that the players are going to play for. Why would teams risk players' welfare and injuries, etc.? At the end of the season, I can see that towards the end of the season, you've got a team in ninth place who aren't mathematically going to get in the top six. They'll play a load of academy players against somebody who is much higher in the league and it'll just be a rout and that could have a material impact on who ends up in the top four or the top six and I think it's just going to depend on which teams end up playing which other teams at what times what's going to be the effect of that well I think that with this season um, I think it's going to be a a bit of an odd one in that you're going to have a lot of teams all very close together on very similar points. So I think in terms of those top six places, it's probably going to be more competitive than it has been in a very long time. And in terms of, you know, maybe get dead rubber games in the season, I mean, most of the time you get that anyway, because generally the, the team that finishes bottom usually is quite a bit bottom. Um, I don't think we've had it for a very long time where it's actually been a very close relegation battle. So I think generally the case, you get a lot of these dead rubber games, obviously just depends how the fixtures work out, towards the end of the season, um, which is why I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference. And as I say, you do have the the fact of this season of it 
being very very close which is unusual so i don't think it's actually going to take a, a lot away really yeah we'll have to see how it pans out because obviously we're only nine games in now and there's still a lot that can happen in the the remainder of the season and it wouldn't surprise me if the league table breaks up a bit more but i i hope that we still end up having quality matches all the way through but I am a bit sceptical as to whether that will be the case. I guess the main other rugby that's happened this weekend has been Six Nations. England put away Italy with relative ease, but I would say nowhere near the ease at which the uh, the press are talking about it. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess over the whole game there was an improvement against them, against Scotland, but you, know, you have to consider who they're playing against. I mean... Italy are nowhere near of the level of Scotland. Um, and whilst I think, yes, they did have more territory, yes, they had more possession, yes, they could pass it out a bit more. Like I say, that's because of the quality of the opposition. It's simply because Italy gave them more opportunity to, to do that. Um, and even with the passing, a lot of it was poor anyway. There's a lot of errors. It was all very flat. Um, and the tries they conceded, I think, were the most worrying thing, actually. Well, there's a lot to be worried about, actually. But I think up there's one of the most worrying things were the nature of how poor the tries we conceded were. And I think what kind of summed it up was at the end how they had the chance to to get the try right at the very end. And they just, as they fell, do quite often, just fluff their lines. And, and that was that. It kind of ended on a damp squib, which kind of summed up the whole thing, really. Yeah, um, the Italian try that they started the match with, it wasn't kind of a, a fluky one. They put together a number of phases and spun it wide and scored. And I think that we've got to, we've got to be very worried about England's defence and cohesion. And then it took us a reasonable amount of time to get back in the game. And we only really properly got in the game from... A couple of tries from very far out. It wasn't like we structured it and went up the pitch in phases. It was intercept tries or kind of a, a break and then in under the post sort of things. It wasn't that we put together quality rugby. And I think if we played the way we played against Italy, against France, Wales or Ireland, we'd probably come off um, with a defeat, not a victory. It's hardly something that we need to be crowing about I, I, I know there's a lot of press yeah we won by 20 odd points in the end but for me it wasn't a, a brilliant victory yeah I mean that's it I mean the, the score it perhaps maybe flatters them a little bit um, because it was very especially the first half was really really laboured and as you say it took them a long time to respond and there was definitely a point where our unforced error and penalty count was far higher than theirs, which is which isn't acceptable. One because of who you're playing against, but two because we had more possession. You know how are we carrying out? How are we infringing more when we have possession against Italy? Um, and as you say, I think in terms of structure, but both the backs again, it just wasn't there. Um, but also in the forwards as well. I don't think I know they. Uh, Willis scored his try before he had his unfortunate injury, but I would expect the forwards to have absolutely dominated from there um, and to just sort of push over, push over, try after try, or put, really put the pressure on, or to, you know, get close to their line, generate the phases for the backs to walk it in or something like that, but it just wasn't just, it was just, you know, there was no real sort of fluid structure to it. It looked a little bit sort of all over the place, and yeah, they, you do sort of worry about the next games against actual proper teams. Yeah, you mentioned the penalty count. I know that um, I was texting you during the match saying, have you noticed only Saracens players giving away penalties? But um, I, I, I'm sure there's some stats out there somewhere on some website, which I haven't managed to find yet. But it was a discon- it was actually a disconcerting number of penalties 
were given away by Saracens players. I, I don't know whether it was just me noticing it and then it was kind of reinforcing it in my brain, but it felt like a good three quarters of them were at the hands of um, Saracens contingent, although they do make up half the, almost half the side, so it's maybe not as stark a thing as it would seem. But yeah, it's um, worrying. What I also found very worrying, a lot of our errors were just simple handling errors. It, it To me, it, yes, the weather wasn't great, but it, it was just so obvious that that's a team that haven't played a lot of rugby. Yeah, well, it was things like the lines they were running, the, the timing of the runs, just the... The, the, the high, even the height of the passes at times, it just wasn't right. It didn't look like a team that were kind of on the same wavelength. I think the only positive you can say about the Saracens players is the fact it's more game time for them. I mean, for a lot of them, it's only their second competitive game. But I mean, that's, you know, that's if you're going to try to be a bit rosy, that's really the only positive you can really say in terms of to keep playing the Saracens players. Maybe it would have been an opportunity to have experimented a bit more. Um, I don't think if you had experimented a bit more, you could have done any worse really um so uh, but I, I also get the argument that perhaps they did want to give them a bit more game time but then it's a ridiculous situation to be in where you've got to have you're in a six nations and you've got to have you know the core of your squad just playing the matches get a bit of game time yeah well obviously if you listen to eddie jones and he says selection isn't important i don't know what planet he's on his his job is selection and i find that oh i'm getting increasingly frustrated with him and I don't know what a dog has got to do to get in the team. Now, Italy was surely the perfect game to to give him some Six Nations experience and see what see what whether he can do it on the international stage. And didn't get a look in forwards. They'd changed a couple of positions around, but largely the same, kind of nothing special. And then the backs, Elliot Daly once again was abysmal. Seems like he can't even defend, let alone attack. And I thought Farrell looked very rusty as well. I don't think he's making decisions that a fly half needs to make i felt like he had an idea and if it didn't go corner to pan, he didn't have a plan b he couldn't think on his feet yeah no that was it i mean i think i think they've obviously they've been told to try and play in a certain way and either it's just not working or a combination is just not working or the players just aren't up to speed in trying to make it work and a combination of both just shows in the lack of sort of fluency and uh, so I, I guess also lack of creativity as well it all seems very labored and and one dimensional if they can even kind of get that dimension going um it, it you get the impression and scotland did it that it's it's i know they kick less and the england generally do kick a lot maybe they changed it because it was italy and they knew that they were going to get the possession but you know england to me just seemed very easy to defend against as well and they don't seem to you don't really have any feeling that they're going to sort of break away of anything or you know they're going to have any real sustained excitement exciting i guess the best way of sort of pressure of really sort of high intensity ball in hand in the backs of sort of quick ball as well just doesn't really seem to be there um i think another positive is perhaps robson one of his best England performances, I think, as well. So at least that provides a bit more comfort and a bit more option at scrum half. Yeah, I think um, Robson made quite a nice change. I think he's got a bit more zip about him and speeds things up a bit more. Um, talking about imagination and excitement, um, what are your views on Johnny May's try? Because at the time, you, th- you look at it and you think, oh, well, a great bit of, that, bit of athleticism. And then you look at the replay again and you realise that he's jumped into a tackle. And I know Nigel Owens has said that he would have penalised Johnny May for doing it. Do you think that that sort of play has to be encouraged? Or at the same time, when we've got all the the hoo-ha about what's dangerous and what's not, do you think there needs to be some sort of 
dicked at from World Rugby about whether that's actually allowed or whether it's not allowed? Um, I think um, you need to do it on the basis of perhaps how football does it, in the sense you give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker in that sort of situation. Because I think for the for the spectacle of the game, you want kind of imaginative, you know, really exciting play like that. Because um, you know, let's face it, it was you know, obviously the athleticism was brilliant, but also just the 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 ability, just the rugby ability in terms in terms of his mind to to do that, to think, all right, this is what I need to do. Um, I also think perhaps a factor in that the you know the Italy player didn't get injured, or there was no sort of contact to the head, or you know he didn't knee him in the face, that sort of thing. If that happened, then it may have been different. But I think on the basis that it wasn't of in of itself dangerous. And it was perfectly legal in terms of, I know because obviously the rule change as well with you can touch the corner flag. Um, I think on the basis of just the game, I think you should allow that, really. And would you allow a defender to pile into him and bundle him into touch when he's in midair? Um, probably not, no. Um, I so think you get Jonathan Edwards in your team on the wing and he, he hops, skips and jumps from... The, basically the halfway down the 22 into, into the try zone. Is that what we're saying? I, um, I think potentially you got to judge it on each of, oh, well, the merits of the jump itself, if that makes sense. Uh, I think because then, you, you know, you can have players diving for the line, can't you? You know, some obviously going to dive higher than others. Um, I, I think in terms of... <sighs> I think you just got to judge each dive, as ridiculous as it sounds, kind of on its own merits and as difficult as perhaps as that sounds. Because I don't think the Johnny Maytag try is something we want to remove from the sport. Because let's face it, without that, it was an absolutely dreadful, you know, uneventful game, really. Um, but as I say, I think my get out answer is just you've got to kind of judge it on the merits of each one. And I suppose, you know, you got the you got the video official. You know, you could use that if you weren't sure it's an option. But I think, yeah, you just sort of judge it on each tackle on its individual merits. Yeah, it'd be an interesting one to see what, what progresses because I don't want to get in a situation where players just start leaping like salmon from the five-metre line and people can't tackle them. But then at the same time, it is quite a spectacle. And I think that if I was to wave my magic wand, I'd probably say you're allowed to do it, but you're allowed to be tackled in the air if you're doing it. Yeah, I think that's the, the best middle ground. But I mean, also maybe it depends as to how um, how close the defender is. Um Perhaps I, I can have a factor to it because maybe if the defender is fairly close and they can tackle, um, if they're further away, perhaps, and it's sort of, I don't know, as I say, maybe. Further away, you don't need to dive, you just run. Well, you can ankle tap, I suppose, couldn't you, perhaps? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's a tough one. But I think, as you say, I think ideal middle ground is if. You know, if they are in the air, then or not far off the air, perhaps you you can tackle them, which I think is probably allowed anyway. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think my get out is you got to judge it on merits of each tackle. Yeah, the other main talking point after the game, aside from the, the rugby itself, was the unfortunate and very painful looking injury that Willis picked up. Um, what are your thoughts on crocodile rolls, judo rolls, whatever you want to call them? Um, I I think it's actually I think it was fine. It was just unfortunate. Um, I don't think there was a, I think there was a correct decision in that the Italian player wasn't penalised. Um, I, he came in. He tried to you know he obviously he was it was in the ruck. He tried to you know roll Jack uh, roll Willis off the 
off the rug, off the ball, and it just it was just unfortunate how his foot was planted. I mean, at the end of the day, rugby is very much a contact sport, um, and the, these things unfortunately are going to happen because if you stop that, then how you know something like that would be incredibly to police, incredibly, sorry, incredibly hard to police, and I think you'll get a lot of times where it's done inadvertently simply because of the nature of how, how the ruck is. Um, and I, I, as I say, I think it's just very unfortunate, but there's no illegal play in there. And I know like all these things, it looks bad or when you see it on slow motion replay, it looks bad when you got uh, commentators saying, oh, that's that's a horrible injury or oh, he came in, he came in this way or that way. But I think we, we have to be realistic. That's what the game is. It, it can be very dangerous. That's the nature of it. And it's just sometimes you do get unfortunate incidents like that. I think that part of this is very high level game so it gets a lot of people looking at it i know in the past uh paul o'connell i think and warburton have had um thigh issues with hamstrings and uh, ligaments um for similar things but everyone calling for it to be illegalized they're kind of what are you supposed to do because in the other match um Ferguson got a red card for going to, to a ruck i'm trying to bundle someone off the ball, deemed careless, reckless, whatever you want to call it, and end up with a red card. And it's not about concussions, this one, which there are a few terrified about being sued in 20 years' time. This is about um, a contact aspect of the game and how often do players dislocate their shoulders or whatever going as tackles. And there's never been a call to outlaw tackling. I, I feel it's one where if you re-round, rewound the laws to maybe the late 90s, then you never had the need for this because rucking was completely different in nature. And the, the, the way the game is now, you have no defenders in a ruck apart from somebody trying to jackal, as it's now called. It used to just be trying to pick the ball up or get a turnover. Now it's called jackling. I don't know why they choose these strange animals, crocodiles, jackals, and <laughs> these three mongoose or something as well. When there's no defenders on their feet in a ruck apart from somebody, one person, who you're not allowed to just pile into then how else are you supposed to get them off and get them out of the way? Well, that's the thing. I mean, well, first of all, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of a jackal before. They stopped talking about the Orp Nations Cup, I think it was. I was dead confused when I first heard that. Um, but, yeah, um, but you're right. I mean, if, if a player comes into a ruck legally, then you know, what's, what else is he supposed to do? Um, as I say, he, he did come into the ruck illegally. He wasn't, the way he went in wasn't dangerous. I don't, as you say, if you're entitled to try and get the defender off the ball or to, to, to push him away or whatever. And if you're, if you're doing that legally, then, then I can't see the problem with that. It's just, it was just unfortunate. It's not like he came from the side. It's not like it was head to head. It's not like he, he sort of charged in dangerously over his shoulder or anything like that. He went in perfectly fine. He was doing a perfectly legal move, which sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's, it's just unfortunate because, you know, you get injuries all the time with rucks and moors. As you say, you get pulls, you get dislocates, you get broken, whatever. You know, you can't police it all. You can't change the rule just because you have every unfortunate incident. Otherwise, you just you wouldn't you wouldn't have the game. There was a couple of years ago against Italy again, they changed the ruck laws after Italy exploited a loophole in the laws, which I thought was good play. And I'd have much rather they kept the laws the same and teams learned to adapt to it. It would have encouraged different offloading tactics. It would just change. Teams would have been fine. They would have all sorted themselves out in due course. And that fundamentally has changed how teams defend a ruck now because defenders just don't put anybody in. And the offside line exists. And that also means that you then get fewer tries because there's more defenders out. And if they make a reactionary law change to this, then I hope that they don't start just saying, oh, well, everyone get back on your feet and put the ball through your legs because 
I do fear that the constant tinkering with things, ultimately that it's trying to remove all elements of risk from the game, in which case, at what point do we just start playing touch rugby? Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have to look at the defenders. Well. I mean, is the defender allowed to, you know, is would they have to change the rule that the defender can only sort of step over the ball in a particular way? Is his, can his, can his, does his back have to be straight or arched or, or whatever? Because, I mean, you, you could have that factor as well in that in the, if, you, if you want to make it more safe, you could say, well, the, the defender needs to be in a position which is, is safe for himself or, or whatever. So, I think mean, there's all sorts of sort of holes you could point well you could sort of have a go at um yeah i don't think there's any need to change the rules like I've, like i've said it's just it's one of those things it's just unfortunate and you you will get to a stage where it's almost like well it could be just like rugby league where you just sort of make the tackle and everyone walks away and then you just roll it under your legs and then pass it out and that's it and it just will just change the complete nature of the game and i think uh, as I say, it's unfortunate. Just leave it. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in the Six Nations, Scotland um, once again played quite well. And they're very unfortunate. Um, Wales somehow managed to scrape through for a second week in a row with playing against 14 men. If Wales end up getting anything like in a position to win this Six Nations, it'd be absolutely extraordinary because they, they managed to end up with a bonus point at the end of that Scotland game. Somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I say it'd be very fortunate to play against 14 men to weeks in a row. I think you know, to an extent Scotland sort of beat themselves in, in that game. It was very much theirs for the taking. They're in a really good position. I suppose we'll see in a couple of weeks time, won't we, where if England turn up or not. Um, I, I mean, if we... I still think if we were to lose to Wales, I mean, obviously that'd be it for us. But I, I surely, you know, France would, would do Wales, uh, surely. Um, I think... As, even if Wales obviously had those two wins, again, you got to take it in context of down to 14 men. Well, their opposition was down to 14 men in both of those games. Um, I still think the French are the best team at the moment. And I, I would say they're probably still going to win it. I mean, you could have the free situation where Wales perhaps do run them close somehow. Um, but I can't see it. I think Wales will lose a couple of games. Even if they only lose one game, then what's the last match of the Six Nations? France v Wales. So it could be that the last match ends up being the match to decide who wins the tournament. Yeah, it could be that. I'd still say France would win it. So. Yeah, probably. So results elsewhere this week. Um, in the Premiership, quite a few interesting interesting ones this week, actually. Um, Wasps only just beat Worcester, 17 points to 13 on uh, Sunday. Harlequins won 37-24 against Leicester. I tell you what, Marcus Smith, if he was playing for or if he was in that England squad at the minute, then I think there'll be a lot of people saying get him starting the next game because he seems to be on form. Then um, we've got Exeter who came out 26-3 winners over London Irish. Wasn't much of a contest there. Simmons scoring two tries again. Once again, <laughs> get him in the England squad. Gloucester narrowly lost to Bristol, uh, 17 points to 18. And that was quite a strange match, that one, because um, Gloucester ended up with two almost identical interception tries from their winger Carreras and then Bristol managed to see it out in the end and win by win by the point and then the final game which was on Friday night was Sale getting beaten 22 points to 27 by Bath funny old league this one where one week Sailor beating the best team in the league and then the next team or the next week they're losing to one of the worst ones it's like you say it's a very close league this year yeah I mean well this weekend shows just as much as any that either well, either anyone can be anyone. Uh, I think especially the Bath 
Sale one, um, or you know, Gloucester Bristol teams can run teams very, very close. Even Worcester Wasp, though, though Wasp haven't been in, in great form. Um, so yeah, it's it's as we've said, it's a really close league this season, and it's nice to see that for the first time in a very long time, the league is the whole league is very, very competitive. Um, you don't just have one or you know two or three vastly inferior teams who can't pick up wins. You know, even if you know, even if you can't buy wins, um, and you don't have, you know, your Saracens ever winning a week or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think that sort of sums it up, and that's why I think it's really important that more than ever that to, to get momentum this season in the league because two or three wins, as we've said previously, can really propel you up the league. Look at look at Harlequins, for example. Look at London Irish. Um, look look where they are. So yeah, I mean that's really. That's really what you need to do, isn't it? You just need to get a bit of consistency. Yeah, so if we quickly run down the league table, Bristol are still on top with 34 points, with Exeter on 33. You've then got a bit of a gap developing where you've got Salem Harlequins both on 28. Northampton um, went up to fifth on 26 points after picking up four in the cancellation against us. You've then got Wasps on 24, we've got 23. London Irish on 22, Leicester on 20, and then there's a bit of a gap opening up again where you've got Bath on 16, Worcester on 11, and Gloucester on 10. So, yeah, the the, the last couple and the, the top couple are beginning to break away, but then the, the middle clump are well and truly still a clump. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be that sort of 8 to 10. I mean, it's all, you, you couldn't really call it, could you, in terms of who's going to finish where? Yeah, I mean, you might have a bit of an idea, I suppose. Um, start to get one of the next couple of weeks or so perhaps but yeah i mean it, it is really exciting because anyone could could finish anywhere really like we're saying at the start bt sport at the minute aren't terribly happy about things but i can see that um towards the end of the season if it stays as close as it is, then every single match is going to be important yeah well that was my point earlier and that obviously it depends on how, how pans out I mean, maybe you will get some teams sort of at the bottom enough to play for but as things stands and as it looks at the moment it does genuinely look like it's going to be in many ways the most competitive season we've had for a very long time yeah um we've there we are we've managed to talk for over half an hour about god knows what when we haven't played a game i guess we've had a rant about england again nothing much more from me so i'll say cheerio bye everyone